0: what is up soccer players welcome to this latest episode of the soccer fitness experience it is me your co-host andy uh with a new co-host for just today a little star appearance sarah has been working really diligently in the background helping us with production and editing and everything like that and today she's making her uh her podcast debut here live on the show um sarah thank you so much for for helping out today how are you today
1: How's it going, Andy? It's going really well. Uh, I just started my first day with the Minnesota Twins and my last clinical experience in PT school, so pretty stoked to be here, and this podcast is definitely on my list of things I never thought I would be doing, so happy to be here.
0: <laughs> About a week ago, we were we were probably in the same boat, but here we are. Like, like everything else in sports medicine, things move very, very quickly, and um, here we are. Yeah, so... I, I think today is going to be uh, the first of hopefully many episodes in the world of uh, soccer, fitness and rehab where um, we're, we're going to call this this series of episodes straight out of physio, where it is a episode series designed strictly for um, people who are entering in their final stages of PT school or maybe graduated or any any schooling mm-hmm. um in general, really like ready to enter the workforce. And uh, we're we're gonna give you guys a a pretty detailed breakdown as to the first six months after school about what what people did. Um, So we're we're gonna give it a go today. So Sarah, I'll hand it over to you and uh, let's get to it.
1: Yeah, I think this is really good timing just with a lot of graduations coming up, people are hearing back from residencies. So the timing on this is pretty great. So what was your overall timeline for graduating PT school? Like when did you graduate? When did you take boards? What did all that look like for you?
0: Yeah, so I was the class of 2020, uh, the COVID class. Um, So it it was actually a very interesting end to uh, my schooling because I had, at, at Duke, we had three clinical rotations. And my first two, thankfully, were in outpatient and in sports and ortho. And my third one uh, was in an in inpatient at a skilled nursing facility. And I made it through about five, six weeks there. And then everybody got sent home. Um, so that was March of 2020. Uh, and obviously, the world was was very different back then. You know, I went home and was on lockdown for months at a time. And um, thankfully, at, at that time, we had more than enough weeks of clinical experience to be able to graduate. So I didn't have to make up weeks or anything like that and um had a little graduation ceremony at my house in may um and you know it's funny like one of the reasons that i i picked pt as a profession way back in you know i was thinking of doing pt in like sophomore year of high school was uh, in my head i was like oh this job is super stable and there's always going to be jobs available and lo and behold you, you graduate in 2020 and there wasn't much um so I ended up, I, I actually registered for boards. I think it was seven, eight times because I was registering and go to the site ready to take the exam and to be like, well, the site's closed today because of COVID. I'm like, damn, all right, we'll do it again. And, you know, did that for a few times. And uh, ultimately, I think I was I was registered to take boards in April. I ended up not taking it until the middle of May. And um, yeah, took it then. And then that was kind of it from there.
1: You definitely had a very unique and stressful experience. Uh, I honestly couldn't imagine doing that right now. So um, that's that's pretty cool though. So you graduated in May and then immediately took the boards a few weeks later.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I, I got to say, like, in terms of studying, I, I, I don't think I'm the best role model. I tend to procrastinate a little bit. Um, that being said, I, I really couldn't imagine... Going through a clinical, like a full twelve week clinical rotation, and and studying for boards at the same time with intensity, right? And um, I don't know. Sometimes I wonder, like, if if I took boards in April and I had all of my clinical experience in terms of not being cut short because of COVID, sometimes I wonder, like, would I have passed? Like, I I don't know. But that's that's something that that I think I'm thankful of right now is like, yeah, I had that extra month between April and May to study because that definitely made a difference for me.
1: So with you, um, with those few weeks, like how much time did you seriously commit to studying?
0: Mm, It was a, it was a crescendo. As I said, I'm a little bit of a procrastinator and I'm someone that like, that needs that pressure of like, yeah, this exam is coming. And um, at at first, I I don't think I, I studied with as much intensity as, as I, wanted or two, and then I took a practice exam and I failed. And uh I was like, Yeah, you know what? Maybe maybe I need some more. Um, so I, I think at its peak, I was really doing about three, four hours a day, maybe a little bit more, um, for about two months solid. And that was three to four hours with a fresh mind because there there is a difference between Getting home from clinical at maybe 7, 8 p.m. and doing an hour or two when your mind is completely fried, at least mine was during clinical, um, versus waking up with a fresh mind with nothing to do because it's it's COVID and hitting the books for like three, four hours. Um, so that was kind of my my schedule and uh, took a few practice exams and saw that at first my, my weak areas were cardiopulm and uh, neuromuscular kind of rehab. And eventually that shifted back over to MSK as my, my cardiopulmonary skills and, and all that kind of beefed up a little bit. Um, so it it definitely changed throughout the, the weeks I was studying.
1: Were there any types of resources that you really liked that you think helped you a lot?
0: Yes, score builders for sure. That was where a lot of my, my academic, uh, knowledge came from. Um, not in terms of treating patients, obviously, but in terms of of passing the exam because they're are two different skills. Um, score builders for me helped a lot with, and there, there's different levels to to questions on the board exam. Right, you have your basic foundational knowledge, which is like what nerve innervates the bicep. You know, that's just that's a straightforward anatomy question. You also have questions with a little bit of of clinical. Um, knowledge required. And then you have these higher upper tier questions, which require a lot of foundational knowledge, but also the the experience that you get in clinicals in order to apply it. Um, score builders helped a lot with phases or types of questions one and two. Question number three, that's when you have to really refer to your, your, your knowledge that you learn in in those phases one and two, but also your experience out in the clinic. Um, so uh, but without that, you know, like you're really relying on your foundational knowledge, which is where score builders really comes into play. And I, I also really enjoyed using the uh, the Pete. I took two practice exams from there, and those were extraordinarily helpful in order to see really where you are. And one of the things I liked about the Pete is it'll give you your score, but it'll also say, "Well, you scored this today, but really you could have fallen anywhere within a range from X to Y." And, and that really helped me as well, paint a really complete picture.
1: Yeah, the Pete was super helpful. And just the question breakdown was just a huge tool. Um, so I really appreciated that. Um, I mean, we'll see how it goes, but you know, so far, okay. Do you remember like back to a couple of years ago when you submitted that final question? Like, how did you feel when you completed the boards?
0: Oh, terrible, 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 terrible. And I mean, I took the Pete maybe three, four, my last Pete of just a few days before the exam. And, um, I passed and I was like, after that practice, Pete, I was like, I feel good. Like I'm, I'm really the type of person when I take an exam and I do well, like I could feel it. But, um, yeah, that board exam, man, like I, I walked out and I was like, Yo, that was close. (laughs) Like, I don't know which, which side I'm falling on, but damn, that was, that was really, really close. And, um, You know, obviously anxious for a few days and then it gets better. You kind of accept that it is what it is and hopefully you get the score that you deserve. Um, And then, yeah, obviously when I when I got that green circle, that that felt really, really good. Um, But but yeah, it it was it was a tense few weeks for sure.
1: Sounds terrifying. So here's to everyone getting green circles this year.
0: Green circles. That's all we're doing.
1: Let's do it. So, from a past couple episodes, you talked about doing your sports residency with Orlando Health. How did that timeline of applying to residencies and hearing back? How did that change your trajectory for graduating?
0: Um, So, not too much. So, I I graduated in May, and then I I was applying for jobs since like January, February, and um, obviously, obviously, with COVID, you know, it it came off to a pretty hot start, January, February, and then obviously, everything just died down completely um and in school i i wasn't sure if i wanted to do a residency or not and it wasn't until maybe at the end of my third rotation where i was like you know what like yeah i i really want to go for it and i was pretty particular i only applied to two programs um one up here in new york and then the other obviously in orlando and um I didn't apply for those until well after my graduation just because of the timelines of those two residencies. So the one of them was scheduled to start in January of 2021, it was. And Orlando's wouldn't start until February, March, April of 2021. So both of those deadlines weren't until October of 2020. So I I had a, a good few months to really sit and think and see if it was what's best for me. And then that's that's what I decided to do.
1: So knowing that you were going to apply to residencies, did that change the kind of jobs that you applied to after you graduated?
0: Sort of. Um, When I was was applying to jobs, I I really didn't know if I still wasn't gonna do it or not. Um, And in my mind, I was like, well, it's hard to really you know, ma- make a smart play here because it's like, well, I'm obviously going to apply to everything because nobody has jobs right now. But at the same time, I would hate to to pick a dream job and potentially leave to go to a residency program. Like, I don't want to do that either. Um, what ended up happening was, was honestly just just a, a slate of good luck. Is I, I ended up taking a a more corporate mill, I guess you could say, a type of job um, in Hoboken up here in in New Jersey. And I was working there, you know, average 37, 40, 40 40.5 hours per week, whatever. And um, it was good experience. It really, really was. And if I had to do it all over again, I'd probably do the same thing Um, because I saw a good amount of people. And thankfully, because of COVID, it wasn't too high volume. And um, yeah, I, I wouldn't say it would change it, but I also think that's a product of the times too.
1: Yeah, that's pretty ideal. Um, So we're going to take a quick break right now to hear from our sponsors. But when we get back, we'll talk a little bit more about the application timeline and process.
0: VTruve is a reliable, affordable, and easy to use velocity-based training system that allows sports medicine staff to monitor and evaluate an athlete's performance in the gym. There are so many scientific papers supporting velocity-based training, showing how athletes can get stronger, more powerful, and reduce their injury risk. Most of all, it's one of the best ways to maximize athlete intent during a fitness or rehab session. Check out the link in the description to learn more about VTrove today. This episode is brought to you by Team Builder. If you're a physical therapist, fitness coach, or personal trainer, you need to know that Team Builder is the number one app for exercise prescription. Whether you're working with a few clients one-on-one as a side hustle or you're working with hundreds of athletes in an academy setting, there's no better app to prescribe exercises for remote or in-person training than TeamBuilder. As someone who's used Team Builder for over two years, I can wholeheartedly say it saves me time and helps my clients perform at their best. As a bonus, TeamBuilder is offering a 12-week soccer strength and conditioning program that comes with your 14-day free trial. This program focuses on increasing strength, power, and speed all while reducing risk of injury. Head over to teambuilder.com and sign up with the code SFE to get started.
1: All right, welcome back. We're here with Andy talking about his post-graduation timeline and what he did post-graduation for jobs and residencies. So when it comes to applying for jobs in sports, uh, what would you recommend for new grads or maybe those in their final months?
0: Mm, are you talking jobs to a clinic or jobs with a team? Because I think they're, they're very different.
1: Great question. Let's do both.
0: Okay. Let, let's start with clinic because honestly, that that's where you're going to make the money to pay the bills straight out of school. Right. So, um, I, I think it depends a lot on where you're applying to and what they value. Um, for example, if you just want to work at a general sports medicine clinic where you see all types of athletes, I think tailoring your resume to suit that would be not only beneficial, but almost almost a requirement. A lot of these clinics, especially April, May, June, it, it's super competitive. And you have to make sure that it is clear on your resume that you are a good fit for the job. Um it's also about who is going to be reading your resume as well. And sometimes you won't know, but a lot of times you do. You know what kind of person's going to be reading it. And you have to know their values. Um, for example, I know of, of clinic directors in physical therapy who want a variety of sport experience with the people that they will potentially hire. So if you're someone like me who most of my experience is, is mostly in one sport, and it's like, well... I'm going to tailor my resume to this opportunity. Like that one, you know, football experience that I had in residency that, you know, I, I was working with a high school football team. To me, that wasn't a highlight, but to them it might be. So I need to showcase that. Versus if it's someone who's really, you know, heavy in on research and, and continuing education, it's like, oh, you know what? That, that thesis that I wrote in undergrad, that I presented at my undergrad conference or whatever, now that's important. Because I want that employer to see that, yeah. Like, although I didn't do any research in PT school, like that's still there. And if that's something that you value, then I want to be able to showcase that. Um, I think that same mentality really does stay true when you're applying to jobs potentially with a team. It's so important, and this is where it is so important to to try and figure out who is going to be reading your resume because. I've spoken to people who, who work in sports and they say, you know what, I'm not on the medical team. I'm more so on the sporting side of things. For example, let's say you're applying to a basketball team and the GM of the basketball team is going to be reading your resume. You better have from the top down a very, very clear list of basketball related experience. And it has to be in my, and again, none of this is right. This is just my experience, but- it has to be clear because what that person may or may not want is someone that is clearly invested in the sport of basketball. Why? Because everybody else in the building is as well. So I think that's important to recognize as well is who's reading it, what do they value, and how do I showcase that in a way where if somebody picks up my resume, they'll know that within 15 to 20 seconds.
1: Yeah, that's super huge. Do you In your experience, do you know how to go about finding out who's going to be reading your resume, your cover letter?
0: Um, You can ask. That's for one. Um, Point number two, if it is with a a team, you can almost, um, you can Google, right? For example, let's say you're applying a job with the New York Knicks. Well, I'm going to Google Knicks high performance director and I want to see his experience. and I want to see where he or she has been. And really trying to see, okay, maybe you know that person worked in the NBA before that, they were in the NFL before that, uh, they were in the MLB. Oh, maybe that's someone who who sees value in different sporting experiences. Yeah, and, and I, I would say most most of the time, if it is somebody who's not in the sports medicine realm of things, which is more often than not, like maybe some of your your resumes go straight to HR first. Most of the time, they want to see sport experience that's that's specific to what they are, uh, what environment they're in.
1: Can definitely catch me going on LinkedIn and having everyone be like, "Oh, Sarah viewed your profile for all these jobs." That I gonna to. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> they're going to be so annoyed yep. with me. <laughs> but that's a really good way. I never even thought about that. Like, it seems not that crazy, but yeah, high performance director. That's that's the person. So with the resume. Uh, we probably can't get into the whole thing right now. But, in terms of cover letter, how do you write uh, in a way that presents yourself like humbly, but also that you you have what it takes?
0: Mm, uh, I'll preface this by saying I'm not going to give you a great answer um, or a highly educated answer. um Personally, I don't. I don't really do too many cover letters, especially when I was applying to jobs um, out of school. I just felt like I, I wasn't, I wasn't displaying myself the best through a letter. Um, and honestly, on LinkedIn, Indeed, whatever job site you're on, um, when I was given the option to write a cover letter, I first I started by writing them, but they were all pretty generic, and they I feel like they weren't adding to my application at all. And it got to the point where if the cover letter was optional, I just wouldn't, I wouldn't do it. Um, that being said, again, I, I don't know if that's the best way to do things. Maybe if you're listening, you can do some research. And honestly, maybe if you're listening and you know that writing is a strong suit of yours, which for me, it's not, maybe that cover letter is good, right? Because you can showcase things that won't show on on a more formulatic kind of kind of resume, Um for me, I, I feel like it wasn't adding too much, so I decided to stop doing it. But if you feel like it's helpful for you, then then go for it.
1: I don't know. I kind of like that answer as someone who would really love to omit cover letters from their application. <laughs> <laughs> uh, do you have any, like... So if it requires something, like, you know, some kind of file and you don't really want to do a cover letter, is there any other kind of supplemental material that you would put in there?
0: Mm things that you're proud of think of think of the best work that you've done in the last three to four years and um send them away maybe they'll like them maybe they'll love them maybe they'll hate them and maybe it's something that'll that'll be the trigger to be like you know what like i'm gonna bring in this person for an interview or you know what i'm gonna give this person a phone call you know give them something to think about because that person that they think about people don't not think about people that they're not going to hire, you know, like it, have them on your mind, you know, and showcasing your best work is is a good way to do that.
1: Okay. I like that. So maybe like for new grads, maybe like in services or other types of projects that we've done.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And honestly, on the business side of things, what will help that company generate revenue? Mm-hmm. Think about that and think about, how you as an individual can bring in patients. If you can do that, like on an outpatient basis, like that case closed, like that's done. The number one problem that that clinics have is getting new patients. New patients to come through the door. If you can help any outpatient clinic solve that problem, you're golden. There's no way you wouldn't get hired. So
1: no, it's good stuff. Just gotta figure out how to do that. So for like this timeline now uh, for folks graduating soon, being the end of January, what kind of timeline would you suggest for applying to jobs? Like is now too soon? Should folks wait a couple months?
0: Mm, I I would say that depends on where you live. Um, Depending on the state you're in, you can get a a temporary license to um, treat patients while, while potentially working. Um, It depends on your your comfort with how likely you'll be to pass the exam. And yes, the exam has a, a high pass rate. But in some states, you'll get a temporary license. But if you fail the exam, they will revoke that license. So imagine applying for a job and you get the job and you start working temporarily. And then six weeks in, you have to resign, quit, go on hold, whatever, because you didn't pass an exam. And now you have to wait 12 weeks. To find out that's just a situation nobody wants to be in, right? So um I, I would say that that's a variable as well. And yeah, I, I don't think it's it's too early right now if you're graduating soon. I don't think it's too early ever, but um just make sure that you keep your eye on the prize, which is getting a license. That's going to require passing your clinical rotations, it's going to require getting your board exams passed, and it's gonna require all the state BS that comes after that of actually getting your license. Um, And in most cases, people won't start working before that, but it's important to take it step by step, right? You can't get a license if you don't have a degree. You can't get your degree if you don't pass your rotations. Pass your rotations first. Once you are confident you'll get there, then it's like, okay, now I'm gonna study for boards. If that starts to distract from your rotation, then hold off on boards, you know, and then after you're like, okay, you know what, uh, my my rotations are going amazing. I feel confident in my exam taking skills as of right now. Uh, I'm ready to register step by step by step. That way you don't get too ahead of yourself and you don't end up in a in a less than ideal situation.
1: That's great advice. I feel like I'm always trying to do a million different things at once, so that kind of helps put the framework in perspective. Definitely so.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And there are, there there are times where it's going to get ugly. You're going to have to lock in, right? Like, especially if you're trying to do more than thing, one thing at once, which honestly, as PT students, we'll, we'll try and do, we will do it. Um, all all these, all these lives. And trust me, like if you're someone who needs your eight hours of sleep, you need to work out, you need to do this, you really need time to take care of yourself, then do that. But just know that you can't do that and be on an accelerated exam pathway and expect good results 100% of the time. Like it's just not gonna, it's not gonna work. Like when I was doing my exam studying, like, again, not a great example to work off of. But I wasn't working out like I should have been. I wasn't sleeping like I should have been. All this other stuff where like, ideally, yeah, like I could have done a, a better job with with managing my time. But at the same time, it is what it is. If you're going to put your exam and your license and all this stuff, but ahead of your physical health, just know that when that exam is done, you also got to, you know, take care of yourself a little bit too. So, uh, yeah.
1: Definitely got to do some of that. So closing us out, what is something that you know now that you wish you could tell yourself in those first six months out?
0: Ooh, uh, Ooh, I'll, I'll tell I'll tell you a story. Um, so obviously I have a very entrepreneurial mindset and, um, while I was working full time when I, when I graduated from school and, and got my license, whatever, um, I, I was very focused on finding a a team to work with. And, um, I was looking for soccer teams in the area, yada, yada, yada. And I eventually found a team and, It was a good experience, but unfortunately me and the, the owner of the team had a little bit of a falling out because of a financial dispute. And, um, I mean, to be honest, like we had an agreement where he would pay me X amount and he didn't come through on his end. And I, I, we, we had a disagreement about it. It is what it is. It's whatever. And one of the things that, that I should have done differently, I think is when, when I was in that environment, I was learning so much, right? Like, I was reading articles on hamstring, return to play on hamstring, evaluation treatment, yada, yada, yada. And with this team I was seeing with, unfortunately, they they were a little bit unfit. I was seeing like three to four acute hamstring strains a week. Like it was – that is the volume I needed to prepare me to go to Orlando and and do really well there Um, in terms of all, all the caseload, hamstring, groin, everything, really low back pain in an athletic population it was also helpful and when I was with that team I was very focused on the financial part of it and i I really didn't sit down and appreciate the type of clinical caseload I was seeing which was exactly what I needed to do um and and it, it was a good experience there but I, I wish I really just spent more time being present there and and really taking advantage of the fact that I had 80 players who were all adult ages with a lot of muscular injuries. Um, I, I wish I stayed in that environment a little bit more. And yeah, I think the key takeaway from that is if you guys are, and residency obviously, it has its pros and its cons, and jobs all have their pros and their cons. I think if anybody listening ends up in an environment where they are seeing daily the type of patients that they want to see for the rest of their career, really, really think twice before you leave that place. And that productivity aside, pay aside, everything aside, because what you can't replicate and what you can't change is that experience, those first two, three years out of school. It's so vital. Um, So if if you're in a, a case where it's like, man, like, this isn't ideal, but I'm seeing the people I want to see, really, really, really try and stay because grass is not always greener on the other side. And chances are, whatever population you're seeing, if you leave, you won't see the same one again. Um, yeah, kind of a long-winded story, but <laughs> it is what it is.
1: Nailed it. No, that that story was great. I think it puts a lot of things into perspective and I feel like hearing stories is one of the best ways to get information across. So probably very relatable to a lot of people.
0: Yeah. And and I think, I think don't get too caught up on trying to find your first experience in the sports world, be a professional one. Um, As I said, I was working with a semi-pro team in in New Jersey. And when I say semi-pro, the semi is in all caps. Um, it, It was very much more of an amateur environment, but that environment is is really what what I needed to to grow at that time. And um yeah, yeah, every every sporting environment is crucial. Just because it's at the youth level or the semi pro level or the amateur level, that doesn't mean it's any less valuable than any other experience.
1: Yeah, I was listening to um Evie Casagrande's masterclass tonight, which thank you for sharing that with me. Um pretty much along the same lines of one of her biggest takeaways, and this is not verbatim at all, but Go for the, you know, maybe not a pro team, but maybe a smaller team to start out and like make those mistakes, try new things, learn as much as you can. So by the time you get to the place that you really, really want to be, you've, you've got it. You've learned your things. You've made your mistakes. Not that you won't make more, but you're in a good position.
0: Exactly. Yep.
1: Well, Andy, thank you so much for sharing your experience. This was really great to hear and makes me feel a lot better about these next couple months.
0: Yeah, of course. Yeah, good. Good luck to everybody taking boards and and getting through exams and everything like that. You're almost there. You're almost there. Like just, just keep going. Head down. Keep the feet moving. Drink the coffee, whatever you need. And yeah, you're you're almost there. Let's do it. All right. We'll see y'all next week.